Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe in Bingo podcast. Yours truly, Solomon Wilcox, right here on Valley Sports Ohio. And right now, we're joined by Brad Spielberger, R&D, and of course, he is the salary cap analyst for PFF and bringing the big brain to the Cincinnati Bengals, who are right now um, struggling just a little bit after that really traumatic loss on Super, uh, I should say, on Christmas Eve, Brad. It's leaving Cincinnati Bengals fans a little bit hopeless because right now they're on the playoff bubble and it looks like it's about to burst. It does, but a lot of teams, you know, the entire AFC South took an L this weekend, so that certainly helps, and some of those other bubble teams, but obviously the Browns in your own division with another big win uh, and the crazy Joe Flacco story, but look, it was it was awesome in the early days of the Jake Browning uh, tenure, a lot of you know great games, great wins against some decent opponents, fell back down to earth a little bit, but, you know, there's still some games left, still football to be played, it's not over just yet. Yeah, this was a game that uh, Cincinnati Bengals and the fans came in. They were riding a three-game win streak. Came into the Christmas Eve game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, although it's one of those rivalries that can go either way. It started out ugly, and it's almost like the hope was snatched out um, very early as the Steelers went up 21-0 early in this game. We got three interceptions by Jake Browning, who by all accounts had proven to be a real reliable backup, but it's almost like the pixie dust wore off and we were left with this team that appears to not be going back to the playoffs. So where did it all go wrong? Help us out here. Yeah, the weird thing is, like, you look at some of the common narratives with an early lead like that and how a team can kind of just continue to, you know, dominate once they get that early lead. You didn't really see a lot of that from Pittsburgh. So they had one rush of 10-plus yards the entire first half. It was a lot of yards after the catch, yards after contact. Obviously, George Pickens breaks off the screen pass – or screen pass, the, the slant for, you know, an 85-yard touchdown uh, or whatever it was. So – and then you let this defense in Pittsburgh, which has been reeling to a degree, for them at least, you let them tee off. You have T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith playing very good football. They have a great rotation now on the interior. You saw your old friend Larry Ogunjobi uh, a little bit for them. And, you know, that interior rotation with County Benton, the rookie, obviously Cam Hayward is an all-pro level player. Like, they all had a good game, too, Montrevious Adams, etc. So, they are built to play with a lead. And Mason Rudolph, to his credit, just came in, got the ball out very quickly. Um, low average time to throw. Let Deontay Johnson and George Pickens just go to work in space. Some check downs to Jalen Warren. But, yeah, it wasn't like they were, you know, running the ball down since he's throat or bleeding clock. They had some longer drives. But yeah. it really was kind of the, the quick passing game. Um, and since he just cut, kind of couldn't get out of their own way, yeah, not even just the interceptions, the Yeshivas uh, ball down the sideline that he almost reeled in. Like yeah. there were a couple missed opportunities as well uh, for Cincinnati, and then, then it was kind of over. You know, Brad, uh, let's start with the Cincinnati Bengals and say the offense because the run game, when you go on the road this time of year, you got to be able to rely on that, kind of help settle a, a quarterback down, particularly one that's not very experienced. The run game has always been sort of that commonality that teams can rely upon and if you can travel with the run game you stand a chance of getting off to an even start and then you can build from there clearly they got uh behind early and so you've got to maybe get away from the run game a little bit but only 15 rushing attempts in the entire game and that's been a trend whenever Cincinnati Bengals have not done well offensively uh they usually get away from that run game so what does the data show about what the run game has been 
for the Cincinnati Bengals in the 2023 season. Yeah, you know, like you said, obviously with the certain game script, you're not going to run the ball a ton. But I think the real issue to why they just almost completely abandon it sometimes is even if you're down, let's say, one or two scores and you need to drive the football, but you have an explosive run game that can break off some big chunk gains or make guys miss in space, maybe then you'd still lean on it. However, since the, the third lowest force miss tackle rate in the entire NFL on the ground and their bottom 10, an explosive rush rate of 10 plus yards on those carries. So you're not making guys miss and picking up those extra yards, those hidden yards. You're not breaking off some big gainers, you know, 23rd in yards after contact. So you're not bouncing off tackles. It's not an explosive rush game and, you know, bottom 10 in success rate too. So it's not an efficient rush game or an explosive rush game. And they've lost zero fumbles all year long. They've had zero turnovers on the ground and are still bottom 10 in pretty much every metric you look at, which is which is a really troubling sign for that run game in particular. Are we getting our runners to the second level of the defense? How is the offensive line doing in that particular area? So I like to break this down by yards before contact and yards after contact, and that's all also kind of a troubling sign. They're actually pretty solid top half of the NFL in yards before contact per mm. rushing attempt. Yeah, okay. it's just not really being taken advantage of once the guys get there. I do think the reason you've seen some more Chase Brown is because he has had a couple of those runs. You know, yeah. Joe Mixon's a good player, three-down player, has been a good player for a long time, but mm. I think you're seeing a little bit of a spark here and there from Chase Brown, and I yeah. think they know they need to get some of that. Yeah, uh, the elusive rating, I would imagine, has to be pretty good for Chase Brown. Has not been good with the other running backs. The ability to make the first unblocked defender miss, highly important in the National Football League at the running back position. And one of those metrics that I think you really have to use when evaluating running backs. We see it with Chase Brown um, and unfortunately have not seen a whole lot from Joe Mixon. Talk to me about the offensive line just in terms of sacks allowed, um, um pressure percentage allowed we spent a lot of money on this offensive line over the last couple of years and with all the money we're pouring into joe burrow what we're going to have to pay uh, maybe potentially t higgins and certainly jamar chase um we're going to have to live with the offensive line we got so how are they doing so far so we kind of split it down here between the first half of the season and the second half of the season. Um, in the first half, weeks one through eight, they were top 10 in pressure rate allowed. They did allow 13 sacks, but we did credit a handful of those to Joe Burrow. So about middle of the pack in the sacks allowed, but not all the offensive line's fault. It's gotten a little bit worse in the second half of the season. And I do think... Again, not to totally, you know, say the, the offensive line is not to blame, but playing with a different quarterback, with a different style, a different approach, it does change how you operate, you know, how far is his drop, all these various things, how much depth does he get on certain drops, like it's, it complicates matters. So anyway, uh, they do have the 10th highest pressure rate allowed from week nine through week 16, but again, 14 sacks allowed, middle of the pack once again. So, yeah. look, is it an elite unit? No, it is not, but it's not a, you know, dragging you down. It's not... 2021 playoff run when Joe Burrow's getting sacked nine times by the Titans. Like it's it's a better unit. The, the return on investment, um, yeah. you know, has been there to a degree given how much they've spent. But like you said, it gets a little scary. Then you have to pay other players. A lot of these cheap rookie contract producers, those guys are not going to be cheap anymore. And you got to sustain this line. So they could stand to be a bit better, but they haven't been terrible. Yeah, not a laggard uh, among the 32 NFL teams. They come up right or right about to the middle of the pack but we like to see even better improvement. Lately, uh, with Jake Browning, we're seeing Cincinnati Bengals quarterback operating more under center, Brad. Um, might we continue to see more of that, say, when Joe Burrow returns? And 
Has it helped in any way, shape, or form? And in what way would it help, say, the offensive line and maybe other um, components on the offense? I think you have to do it more often. I think you just have to add that element. With J- Joe Burrow, the, the Bengals led the NFL in shotgun rate, and I think they were top three in just 11 personnel. Like they were going to be in shotgun with three receiver sets. And look, it's okay to have a foundation and have a bread and butter. And obviously, it's a good offense when people are healthy um, you know, and they're playing good football, so you don't have to totally abandon that. But the, the sample size are so still so small. I'm not sure there's any definitive, like, oh, the under center play has been so helpful and so meaningful. But I think just adding a different element to your offense, adding some play action game, doing different things to maybe get some boot action, half field reads, some double moves from Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, like different elements that you can time up with an under center drop, I think is very, very important. So I don't have any great data points here to tell you why it's been awesome or any specific highlights, but I do think the – the stagnant nature of the offense and kind of the predictability of what they were always kind of doing time and time again. I think that caught up to them. Yeah, really good stuff. And we also have a large sample size of what being under center does for other offenses. So um, I think it does stands to reason that you might see a higher integration of quarterback operating under center, even with Joe Burrow when he returns in 2024. I want to move over to the defensive side of the ball because in the five games since Cameron Taylor Britt has been out, it seems like we're giving up even more explosive plays and pass coverage. What does the number say about where the secondary is now, particularly in the last five games without Cam Taylor Britt? Yeah, like you said, it was a bit of a struggle, you know, even what when he was in the lineup, but you know, I think you notice in particular, so obviously the Bengals' corners don't really travel. Sometimes Britt, if anyone would, it's probably going to be him. But, you know, a ton of zone from Luana Rumo. Uh, he does play both sides of the field. And you're seeing a lot of number one receivers. So, again, maybe anecdotal, maybe not exactly linked to Cam Taylor Britt. But, you know, a guy like a George Pickens, that big-bodied, you know, outside X receiver, those guys have been producing, uh, you know, Michael Pittman before he went out in that game. Like, you know, a bunch of players throughout the last couple of weeks um, that, that embody that role that you'd expect that Cam Taylor Britt to be battling with have been producing. But like you said, it, it's been tough in the secondary pretty much all year long. I, I think that's the question that every Cincinnati Bengals fan wants to know. Why was George Pickens able to get off against the Bengals? In one minute, they had him leaving the roster. They're ready to fire Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. They're ready to run. George Pickens out of town on a rail, as they would say. And now they're buying him a condo. Now he can stay in everybody's living room, right? (laughs) Because the guy had four catches, 195 yards, two touchdowns, very first play of the game. He's go streaking through the Cincinnati Bengals secondary on a slant route. All you got to do is get hands on him or at least make the tackle. Why? What does the numbers say about why he was able to get off so well against the Bengals secondary? Yeah, so, so quick outs against the second level has led to a lot of explosives. And we just yeah. talked about Anna Rumo playing a ton of zone and sitting back. And, of course, he's been remarkably successful the last couple of years. Yes. He rotates a ton, single high, two high, does various different things to always show different looks and confuse opposing quarterbacks. But some of the underneath stuff where, you know, it's, it's simple. Get to the top of your drop, take one hitch, and just get the ball out. That's been effective. And, yeah, I mean, he should not be able to run away from second and third level defenders like he did. He's a good athlete. He's got speed. But, yeah, I mean, just just simply, like you said, it's a slant route, a seven-yard slant route um, over the middle of the field. And I don't think anyone even got hands on him. Yeah, usually when they're catching it and running away and you're not even able to pull their flag, that means there's not a breakdown necessarily in 
um, in terms of scheme, that's just lack of execution. Uh, and so uh, Luke can draw it up however he wants. He's got the young guys, and there are some young guys back there. They've got to be able to execute at a at a much higher level. And I suspect that that's what's being discussed even right now. I, I got to ask you this question because whether it was Jordan Addison against the Minnesota Vikings and whether it was Michael Pittman Jr., you can go throughout the course of the season. I go back to even a game where we won against the San Francisco 49ers. You saw George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk each have over 100 yards receiving in that game. So what does the data say about the number of explosive plays the Bengals defense has given up in the passing game this year? It seems to be uh, unusually high for a Lou Anaromo defense. Absolutely, because especially, again, everyone has their different flavor, but his approach generally had been, you know, sometimes team could sustain drives against him and, and you know, death by a thousand paper cuts yes. like dink and dunk their way down the field, but you wouldn't get beat over the top. Um, or you wouldn't miss tackles because you'd gang tackle and ride the football with a lot of defenders in space. It's the third worst explosive pass play rate allowed in the entire NFL this year, which is a, I mean, it's a massive, massive problem. And their fifth highest uh, against the run, too. So teams have just been breaking off explosives against them all year long. And it it puts so much stress on the offense. It's just so hard to combat that. And maybe there is some variance there and, you know, some, some, you know, issues that could be corrected. Like you said, it maybe isn't a fundamental issue, more just lack of execution. Some of those young defensive backs being the wrong spot or making the wrong play. Um, But yeah, when you're 30th in explosive pass play rate, you're not going to win a whole lot of football games. And last year they were middle of the pack against the pass and actually top 10 against the run. So it's been a big, big flip from last year to this year. I would tell you, Brad, even I underestimated what it really meant. Having even played the safety position, what it meant to lose a Von Bell and a Jesse Bates. Now, I knew we were losing a playmaker in Jesse Bates, who already has six interceptions, still have two more games left to play. He could end up leading the league in interceptions this year in his first season with the Atlanta Falcons. And I thought Von Bell was an excellent tackler. I thought he was a uh, he set the tone with the physicality that he brought to the table. And so that's my next question. How are the Cincinnati Bengals just the defense rating in terms of yards allowed after the catch, yards allowed after contact? Because tackling is so very important, and not just the Bengals defense, but other defenses around the league. This has been a huge talking point around the National Football League. How how have they done in that area? Yeah, you know, I just I think Jordan Battle's coming along pretty nicely as, as that guy that makes plays near the line of scrimmage. But that loss of that deep third roamer, um, you know, in a Jesse Bates, I think has been you know obvious and notable. Uh, and like you said, he's doing great in Atlanta. So they're actually not terrible with missed tackles. But I mean, the big thing that jumps out for them is their bottom ten in yards after contact allowed. So you know, for us, that would mean a missed tackle is you just get juked or you just don't you know take a, a, a poor pursuit angle and just don't make a play. Right after contact, you're trying to make a tackle. Either you're going going high on a guy or, or trying to grab an ankle and just not making the play. Bottom 10 in the NFL, and that particularly, I think, is the big issue that jumps out. And again, yeah. not you know, Bates was a lot kind of on the back end, but if he needed to make a play, you know, he often did. Um, you know, didn't let a guy get, you know, turn a 20-yard gain into an 85-yard touchdown, um, you know, as, as you've seen a lot this year. Hey, I know it's early. We still have two games left in the regular season. Now, we're not in the free agency period. We're not in the draft period. But you are the research and development guy at PFF. You do great work, by the way, and also understanding salary cap. Um, 
what I'm looking at in terms of what the Bengals might uh, have to address, and that's what they're deciding. These games are going to determine where they're going to be looking to improve themselves once they do enter the offseason. Just at first glance, what are some of the areas of concern that you could see them needing to address this offseason? Yeah, I think the biggest one for me, and I feel terrible for him uh, with the timing here, but DJ Reader was going to be a pending free agent. It is a pending free agent now, of course, dealing with a, with a tricky injury there. But I think that's the one that jumps out to me. I think he's been a difference-making impact player on the interior. BJ Hill is a good piece. They've had some growth from some young pieces. But I think interior of that defensive line is probably where I start. Um, and there are some solid players pending to hit free agency there. And then, of course, you know, Jonah Williams, pending free agent at right tackle. I think he's been okay for a guy that switches sides from left tackle to right tackle. I think hadn't started there since 2017 in college at Alabama. Uh, so it had been quite some time since he played there. He's been okay, but I think they probably go a different direction there. So, yeah, interior DL, right tackle. And then, of course, thir third receiver, slot receiver type, if they don't bring him back at Tyler Boyd, maybe more on the back end at safety or corner. Um, but I, I start where I mentioned, interior D-line and, and offensive line, the, the trenches. Yeah, in the trenches, you get bigger, you get more physical. You can always use a lot enough corners. You can never have enough of those, Brad. And and one last question, at least on that note, um, a lot of people are asking about T. Higgins. Is this a franchise tag situation? He always, and not most of the time, but always steps up. Whenever Jamar Chase is out, he's an instant number one. Um, if you give him enough looks and enough target, this is a guy that delivers for you. 110%. Yeah, no, he'd be a number one receiver on half the teams in the NFL. He just happens to be playing, uh, you know, with an elite, elite talent in Jamar Chase. So, yeah, I think he is a franchise tag candidate. I'd be somewhat surprised if that's not the direction they go. Yeah. Just like a Jesse Bates, maybe you do get a deal done, maybe you don't. Uh, that, that'll all, you know, happen over the course of the next couple of months. You know, unfortunately for him, he's had some injuries of his own and maybe didn't have the greatest contract year he was hoping for. But like you said, you see the value, that incredible touchdown a couple weeks ago, extending for the pylon. Like he just, he makes plays not a lot of guys can make. And that is always evident, even in a bit of a down year. So, uh, look, uh, the Bengals are now getting ready to head to Arrowhead Stadium to take on a Kansas City Chiefs team that surprisingly, Brad, has lost five of their last eight games. This is the first time since... Patrick Mahomes has been a starter for this team that they have not won 12 or more games in a, in a regular season. Um, it's, it's incredible. They've lost three straight games at Arrowhead Stadium. What's going on with the Kansas City Chiefs? I think it's a couple things and not the obvious ones that everyone's talking about. So look, do the receivers drop too many balls? Yes. yes. Uh, but I think, for, yeah, which is always a problem, of course. Yeah. But first for me is, they don't have anyone that can separate quickly at the line of scrimmage. And that, unfortunately, now I think also includes Travis Kelsey. He's still, of course, mm. one of the best tight ends, maybe the best pass-catching tight end of all time. But he's in his you know early, mid-30s, and he's not quite the same guy he's always been. But like I, I love the rookie Rasheed Rice. Right now his game is find the soft spot against zones and get yards after the catch. He's not running nuanced routes and, and has great release packages. That's not his game. So yeah. they have no one that can get up and quickly – and then no one's really talking about, I think, um, as much as the receiving, their pass protection is not good enough. I mean, they yes. go out and they change both tackles. Donovan Smith, the left tackle, they pay a huge price for Juwan Taylor, right tackle. He has not been even close to the price tag. Yeah, they'd rather have Orlando Brown. I'm sure Bengals fans will love that snippet. Uh, <laughs> than Juwan Taylor. Yeah. And so Mahomes has the lowest average depth target in the NFL, which is crazy to say, given his talent, because guys are not getting open and then he doesn't have enough time to wait for things to develop downfield. Yeah, they've, they've been bad for about two months now.
Why are they so vulnerable at home? Arrowhead Stadium used to be one of the more toughest places to go into play. And now each of the last three teams, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Buffalo Bills, and the Raiders go into Arrowhead Stadium. They snap a six-game losing streak to the Chiefs, and they just have their way with them, scoring twice on defense, even a pick six off Patrick Mahomes. We're seeing things happen to this Chiefs team that we have not seen since Mahomes has become their starting quarterback. Not even close. And you mentioned the pick six. I mean, that was the most telegraphed pass maybe yes. in Mahomes' career. Like, yeah. like a clear back shoulder ball to the side. Like, we all knew it was coming, yeah. um, which is wild to see for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. You, you always hear Arrowhead is one of the toughest places to play. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's the loss of the run game with Pacheco went down. I know he played this pass game, but they didn't have that element at all. So some bad weather, and they're still relying on this passing game that just isn't effective right now. But yeah, I mean, he hadn't lost back-to-back games in a couple of years. He hadn't lost three out of four games in his NFL career. Um, and, and now he's losing a bunch of games at home. It's it is not the Chiefs we've seen in the last five seasons. You know what? Um it was this time last year, Brad, I was saying when, remember early December, uh, the Bengals and uh, the Chiefs played one another at Paycor Stadium. And I said, NFL schedule makers, just give us this one every year. Give us Bengals, Chiefs every year. Give us Mahomes, Burrow every single year. Well, they tried, right? But neither one of those teams are the same. One year later, so much changes so rapidly in the National Football League, no Joe Burrow in this one. The Chiefs are quite a different team. Cincinnati Bengals are going to stagger into Arrowhead Stadium, and I'm sure they're going to give them a fight. Um, but it's not the same team that was last seen entering Arrowhead Stadium in that AFC Championship game. What kind of game do you anticipate? And uh, how can uh, the the Bengals and Zach Taylor give this team any shot of going in there and getting a win against an angry Kansas City Chiefs team? Yeah, and these two teams probably still hate each other, even with, you know, some of the top guys not there. I'm sure it's still going to be a chippy environment and a chippy game. I think it probably comes down to great games from a Trey Hendrickson and a Sam Hubbard. I mean, really in teeing off and getting after those tackles and just making sure Mahomes never feels comfortable and is scrambling a bunch. Uh, I didn't really see a lot of commentary. He was kind of limping and and favoring an ankle at the end of that game, too. Not as bad as, you know, the playoff game last year. But so, like, just get him uncomfortable, get him off his spot. Because he really right now, too, isn't trusting, I don't think, the pocket. Like, there were times in previous years where the pocket was probably collapsing, probably a guy closing in on him, but he he trusts to just stay in there and make a play. I think right now he thinks he has to bail pretty much every single time, right. um, and, and I think that's how you do it. Just It's got to be an ugly one. I don't think you're going to, like, you know, get into a, a high-scoring battle with them, make it ugly, make it mucky like the Raiders did, and try to win, like, a 20-17 to 17 type of game. It's almost like they've given up on their ability to run the ball. Same with the Cincinnati Bengals. It's going to be on the arm of both quarterbacks, but you and I both know it's about who can protect uh, their quarterback the best. So it's going to be very interesting. And Jack Jones, by the way, I know you're probably all over. You have the metrics. How did the Patriots let that guy get away, getting no compensation for him? And he's one of the best interceptors of the ball that I think the game has seen in quite some time. Back-to-back weeks with a pick-six interception, then to pick the pocket of one Patrick Mahomes. Uh, This Jack Jones is someone we got to pay attention to, isn't he? Talent has never, ever, ever been in question. Eating, the, uh, dating back to college, yeah. you know. Other, uh, you know, not to get into a larger conversation. He yeah. he fell to the fourth round for a reason. For a reason. Uh, he got waived by the Patriots for a reason, <laughs> and that reason was not his talent on the football field. 
let's just say he's at his best in game, right? It's, <laughs> a, it's after that when you might want to work. Brad, you're the best. We greatly appreciate you joining us on the show. Uh, we appreciate all the great work you do with the R&D and the salary cap um, uh, analysis with PFF. Keep up the great work, and thank you for joining us here on the Believe in Bingo podcast right here on Bally Sports Ohio. Everyone, thank you for joining us. We hope you had a wonderful Merry Christmas. We wish you a wonderful Happy New Year as well. Join us again next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.